the church in action. It is a delight uh, to be back with my family here at Big Woods, our family here at Big Woods. We were away for a week um, on vacation uh, with extended family celebrating my uh, dad and mom's 50th wedding anniversary. It was a delight last week to worship uh, with many of our family at the historic Corolla Kerala Chapel in Nagshead, and as delightful as that was, let me tell you this, there was a part of my heart that I missed being here with our Big Woods family. We were praying for you, praying for our brother Tony as he preached and did an exceptional job at clearly presenting the accurate truth of the Word of God. We are blessed with good and godly elders. Um, It is a delight to know that if I am away as I step out of the pulpit that God's word does not miss a beat um, as it is being taught and presented. And it is a delight. My mind is a little bit mushy from vacation, but I was so anxious to get back to share with you um, more truth from God's word. Let's bow our heads and pray together as we learn this morning. Father, we stand before you to express our gratitude for all that you have done, all that you are doing. Father, we are amazed at your love for us, at the offering of your own son to die and to suffer on our behalf. And it is because of the work of the gospel that we celebrate It is because of the work of the gospel that we gather today. It is because of the work of the gospel that gives us a reason for our existence and a purpose to our day. We thank you and we love you. Father, I delight that in your word it says that you use the weak and the foolish. And Lord, I am so grateful that you have chosen that you have called and whom you call you equip to teach truth to preach word i would pray lord this morning that it would be done to your glory and to your glory alone father we we ask ask and we invite your spirit to join us and to work on our hearts revealing lord our own shortcoming and god i would ask that you would You would heal our hearts in such a way that we understand what we are called to do every single day. Proclaim your mercy and your grace anew. Father, I would ask that you would guide our time. Father, I would ask, Lord, that you um, would work in the pulpits and through the mouths of other men in this community who are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for your work as a whole, for kingdom work that is being accomplished. I would ask, Lord, that we would be of one voice and that this community would be transformed by the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful and to do our part so that you are glorified. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. A number of years ago, back in 1982, it was a holiday weekend. It was not Memorial Day weekend. It was Fourth of July weekend. Saturday, July the 2nd, 1982 to be exact, there was a gentleman. His name was Larry Walters. I love this guy. He's weird. 
Larry Walters was sitting around on holiday weekend, 4th of July weekend, and he sadly, like some men, was bored. And so he got to thinking of what he should do, what he could do. He had actually purchased some weather balloons. And so he got to thinking, he filled his weather balloons up with helium, and he actually lashed them, tied them down to his lawn chair. His plan, get this, was to float over his neighborhood at around 30 feet, packing up his sandwiches, uh, beer, camera, and a CB radio. This is back in 82, remember, before cell phones. Larry appeared all set for a very fun adventure. He also took along a pellet gun to shoot the balloon so he could descend back to Earth. Here's what happened. When the tethering cord was cut, Larry rapidly rose to a height of 15,000 feet. By now, he was afraid to shoot the balloons because he was up so high. Larry's balloon lawn chair had also drifted into the flight path of the Long Beach airport. After about 45 minutes, He was desperate enough to shoot some of the balloons which landed him in some electrical lines, knocking out power to Long Beach for 20 minutes. He was immediately arrested by waiting members of the Long Beach Police Department when asked by a reporter why he had done this. Walter gave a classic reply. Here it is. A man can't just sit around. I don't know who this guy is. There's a part of him that I just love. Man can't just sit around. I thought about that as a local church. I thought we exist for a purpose. We cannot just sit around ever. This morning we return to our narrative. We return to the text of the early church in Acts chapter 11. And we will understand and we will be reminded that the early church Never, it cannot, it will not just sit around. Why? Because they have a mission to do. Realize that the mission that is given to the first church 2,000 years ago is the exact same mission that is given to you and I today. We have a mission to do. Throughout God's word, it is compared to a race, not, not a sprint. It's over in 11 seconds. Christian life is oftentimes referred to as a race that is a marathon. It's referred to in Scripture as a wrestling match. It's referred to in Scripture as a battle. All of these analogies demand one thing. It's it's what? It, It demands us stepping out of our comfort zone and taking what I love to call risk. Let's read our text. Let's pick up where... Tony left off last week. We will read from verse 19 through the end of chapter 11 through verse 30. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 30. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed 
turned to the Lord's. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The last couple of weeks... In this text, we have been trying to understand this huge shift in ministry that is taking place. That the church is what? It's going global. Based out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, the Jews, and then as Tony touched on last week, Again, what the gospel goes to Samaria, it goes to the Gentiles. It gets big and it gets broad. Moving out, the gospel of Jesus Christ moving out with absolutely no restrictions. I had the privilege last night of listening to Tony's message, and I will quote him. I love the fact that he talked about authentic Christianity isn't colorblind, it isn't culture blind. Which means what? You and I are immediately confronted with the responsibility of taking the gospel to everyone, regardless of the fact you like them or not. This is going to be hard for you going to be hard for all of us change is hard taking risk is hard moving outside of our comfort zone is hard at times remember a number of years ago we were living in new hampshire um, you can drive at the age of 15 and a half and so i was teaching our daughter sarah how to drive i had an old rusty red jeep it was a, a five speed and she was really nervous with it but we were teaching her how to drive a standard and she was slowly getting it but it was tough old enough to finally get her license, and I thought it was a big thing. One particular day, she had to go to work, and so I said, honey, you can take the Jeep, and she thought about it for a moment. She's like, mm. She kind of closed her eyes, and she thought a little bit as she's driving. It was like a mile down the road. It really wasn't that far. And she thought about it, and she says, I, I can't do that. I said, why not? You, you practiced on it. You got your license. You're good to go. And she, she thought about it. She said, no, if I, if I take that, I'm going to have to turn left. I said, well, yeah, you're going to have to turn up. She goes, I can turn right. I just can't turn left. It's really hard for me to do that. And think about that. It's the same thing that you and I are called. And oftentimes we're like, I'm comfortable with this. I'll continue to do this. That's not going to cut it when you grow up and get big. You're going to have to what? You're going to have to turn left at times. You have to talk to people they don't like to talk to. 
What I find interesting about this particular passage is it actually connects back to Acts chapter 8. Here we are in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. It actually, it, it actually returns to this story where the author Luke directs our attention back to where? Back to when? Back to the persecution during the time of Stephen being stoned under Saul's authority. As this was happening, we think of what a horrible day in the history of the church. God is working behind the scenes in the midst of the most troubling of times, in the midst of persecution, and he does what he does best. As a result of that persecution, there were what? Ones who went out and began to do the work of the gospel, and they end up where we are today, in Antioch. We're going to examine three different types of people that exist in this particular church that are a great reminder of what you and I need to act like and be like and live like in our church today. In Antioch, the church, just like today, needs people who are trailblazers. You can write that down and remember that. The church of Jesus Christ needs people who are trailblazers. In verse 19, it says, those who were scattered. It's the same word we talk about in James chapter 1. Ones of the the diaspora, the dispersion. Some believers, because they were persecuted, went out to Phoenicia, to Cyprus. Some eventually made their way to Antioch. Well, what's so big about Antioch? Antioch is a bustling, busy, very important city in the Roman Empire. It was dubbed the Paris of the ancient world. It is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Rome, obviously the largest, about a million people. Um, Alexandria was about half a million. And Antioch was estimated somewhere between 200 and 400,000 people. Antioch is located 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's famous for its entertainment, but also for its vice. It was in this particular city that the goddess Daphne was worshipped. Daphne was the, the goddess of sex and promiscuity and paganism was rampant in this particular city. And yet even in this area, the gospel does what people cannot do. And there is a great movement. There's a great revival that takes place. In verse 20, it identifies these these missionaries, these frontiersmen, these pioneers, these trailblazers, not by name. It just simply says men of Cyprus and Cyrene. I love the fact that they're, they're more interested about people finding out about the name of Jesus than they are about recording or revealing their own name. They are forever, in in all of the, the historical records, they are nameless. They're just a group of men, anonymous, courageous men, who are committed to what? To make the name of the Lord Jesus Christ known. As we trailblaze with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to remember what? It's not really about us. It's not about your name having what a spot in the lights. Um, George Whitefield was asked if his name would 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 be able to lead 
denomination. This is after the time that Luther had died, and so the Lutherans came into existence. This is after the time that Wesley had died, and the Wesleyans. So George Whitefield's movement, people were like, could we use your name? Listen to his response. I love it. He says this, Let the name of Whitefield perish, but let Christ be glorified. Let my name die everywhere. Let even my friends forget me, if by that means the cause of the blessed Jesus may be promoted. I love that idea. This is, this is the group of men right here. We do not know them by name, but they have a desire, what? For the name of Jesus to be proclaimed. Do, do you have that? As opposed to, well, I, I want to attach my name to a, a connection, a celebration, a ministry. Here we have these individuals. Okay? They, they, they didn't accomplish in and of themselves anything great. They didn't win a game, win an election. They didn't land a dream job. They have a message. This is what I would call classic Christianity. No name but Christ's name. No boundaries but love. They have been saved in Jerusalem and they move out into the ancient worlds. F.B. Meyer well says, Antioch will ever be famous in Christian history because a number of unordained and unnamed disciples fleeing from Jerusalem in the face of Saul's persecution dared to preach the gospel to the Greeks and to gather the converts into a church in entire disregard of the initial rite of Judaism. God was obviously at work here. God uses this type of ministry. God blesses this type of ministry because we see what? What is in verse 21? A great number who believed turned to the Lord. Let me just, let me sidestep just for a moment. I want you to understand the truth and the validity of this statement in verse 21. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. Let's pause on this and I want you to note the distinction between belief and turning. A lot of times people would say, if you just believe this, then you're good to go. Absolutely not. Not according to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a wonderful reminder that the truth of the gospel and salvation comes when a person has what a desire for radical life change. And so I love the, the little subtlety of the gospel that is presented. It's not just belief. It's not just uttering a few words, walking a trail, shedding some tears. Salvation comes. God arrives when what? When we have a desire to turn for repentance to be part of salvation. Their ministry is important. In the first step, Antioch becomes a launching pad for future missionary journeys. And understand this would not have happened unless godly men, what, did not flame bright, did not burn bright in a very, very dark place. Think about our own community. Every single week, we hear yet more stories of desperation by way of families in disarray or dysfunction, uh, by way of the, 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 the plague that exists within our culture of drug use and abuse, Families disintegrating. It is a dark time in a dark place. This is where what? Those of you who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ flame bright. Burn bright in this dark world. 
the church always needs people. What? Not only to flame bright here, but also to go into other areas. I just have a continual, I don't know if a day goes by. I know that we have the, the prayer card reminder of, of Brian and Rachel Monti and the boys on a refrigerator. I think about one of our own missionary families that we have, in a sense, packaged up and sent off. And they are literally the other end, of, other side of the world, trailblazing for the gospel of Jesus Christ, loving and supporting in faithfulness. I'm so grateful for that. We need those types of people. I'm reminded of a missionary family, a missionary couple that I met a number of years ago when Seth and I were in Haiti doing relief work. And we met a, a young family. Um, Pastor Inata was his name, and they had his wife, Rose, and one little daughter. They were actually from the Philippines. From the Philippines, sent out to Haiti. They had been there for seven years preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had talked with them. I said, do you ever get a chance to go back home to the Philippines to see your family? He said, I've never had a chance. You mean, no, your family's back. Do you ever get a chance to just go back and to visit? He said, no, when we left the Philippines, we knew we were leaving and we would never return. I thought about that. This is the man that when there was a horrific flood in Gonaive, Haiti, Ended up on a rooftop of the church that he had planted. And he was literally reaching over and he was grabbing children who were floating, rushing by, grabbing children and rescuing them on the roof. Five days he was on the roof of this church with something like 21 or 22 children that he had rescued. Uh, It's that type of a trailblazing spirit. Says, I'll take a risk. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll lash the weather balloons to the lawn chair. I am not going to sit around. And we must do that. We must be that. The church needs people who are trailblazers. The church also needs what? People who are influencers. In verse 22, what happens here when news of this great spiritual awakening revival takes place in Antioch, It reaches the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They decide to send a man. They needed a good man. They needed a a warm-hearted man, a kind man, but one who preaches and teaches not only with his lips, but with his life. He backs it up. With the existing church, in a sense the home church, the sending church in Jerusalem, they, they get word of this need in Antioch. We've got to send someone. Who is it that they send but Barnabas? He is the perfect choice. He is a mature man, mature enough to handle all kinds of difficult situations. He's, he's tough, but yet he's still the encourager, the consoler. He's a wonderful, he's a perfect balance of grace and truth. In verse 23, it says, Barnabas arrives in Antioch and he immediately recognizes what, that God was doing something in a great and mighty way among the Gentiles. And look at what it says he does. It says, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He doesn't come with a new message. He comes with these words. To remain steadfast. It's the word prosmeno. It means to cleave. 
It means to stick to. It means to remain, to stay with great determination. Part of effective ministry is calling people to do the same thing they've been doing as long as it's faithful to the gospel. This is exactly what Barnabas does. He comes in to the midst of this situation. It's not really even about him receiving any kind of attention or glory. He just what? He says what? You, you be faithful. You continue on. He cheers on the tired. He points people in the right direction. He influences them. You ever think of people that God has brought across your path? Perhaps the time that you've been exhausted or frustrated, you've been worn, you've been trying to do that which you know is the right thing to do. God brings a teacher, professor, a pastor, a coach, someone in front of you who just encourages you. Keep on. Be faithful. Like a Barnabas. A brief bio that is given of this man in verse 24. He's a good man. I love that. It doesn't have to be a lot of like huge words. You know what? This man right here, let me tell you, this, this is a good man. It says that he is full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just, just exudes love, joy, peace, gentleness, peace. All of those just pouring out the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Very evident in this man's life. It says that he's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And he is full of faith. This is Barnabas. Most thankfully, his ministry results what? As he continues on, just encouraging, you be faithful. He comes along to support what happens in verse 24. A great many people were added to the Lord. It continues what to grow. It continues to swell. The ministry is going so well that Barnabas knows this is not a one-man show. I can't do this alone. Verses 25 and 26. What do we see happen? Very clearly, Barnabas goes to get some help for the ministry. He goes, what? Because there's work that needs to be done. Look who it is that he gets. Goes to Tarsus. Now think about what's happening here. I can almost, I could kind of step back and, and picture this scene a little bit. Barnabas goes to Tarsus. He asks around. And he gets the address. Remember, Saul's in Tarsus. He's, he's basically making tents at this point. And, and I, can, I can almost hear as, as, as there's a, a perhaps a, a knock on, on the wood frame and there's a voice from in the back. I'll be right there, sir. Just hold on one minute. And out from the back comes this guy. He's, he's grubby and he's dirty. He's sweaty. He's working hard doing what he should be doing. And Saul sees him and and Barnabas, this smile, and they recognize one another. Remember, Barnabas was the one. Barnabas earlier was the one who brought Saul to Jerusalem, brought him to the apostles. They know one another. As soon as Saul kind of steps in the back of that tent-making shop and he sees his good friend, oh, what a reunion. They hug and they slap one another on the back. And Barnabas says, I've been asking all over town for you. And they call you the, 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 the preaching tent maker. They're, just, they're just, just excited about what you're doing. 
And Saul knew in his faith, says, I just love to tell the story of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I love preaching and teaching about what happened to me, who I used to be and who I am today. Barnabas says, Saul, that's, that's why I'm here. I need you. We need you. And he puts his arm around him and they head out. They head out to Antioch. It says what? That they stay a whole year together. That they are ministering, that they are laboring alongside of one another as brothers. Barnabas understands that Saul is the man that God has anointed to be used in great ways. And they labor side by side, shoulder by shoulder. Returning to Antioch and doing a work. I, I've thought as I studied this text, if I read commentaries, I wish, I wish I could get a chance to attend the church at Antioch. Something about that church. The church in Antioch, because they had a great sound system, no. Comfortable chairs, no. Great program, no. Great VBS, no. They didn't really have any of those things. Something about the church in Antioch that is very, very interesting. No mistaking the reason that the early church, okay, was a church that loved to be taught and they loved to learn. That's exactly what happens here. The word is didasco, taught. They were teaching, they were instructing, they were educating, they were tutoring. That's what Paul and Barnabas' primary effort and emphasis was. This is, this is another key part of what we can kind of grasp from this story and learn from. This is what we need to be doing. We need to be a church that functions in such a way that those of you that are here today that have this gift of exhorting, this gift of teaching, this gift of influencing other people, that you are using the gifts that God has given to you for the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what happens here. It fits together well. It fits like a puzzle. How are you doing in exercising the spiritual gifts that you've given? Are you the trailblazing type that says, I'll go anywhere at any time? Well, then you need to be doing that. Are you the one who has been gifted with the ability to exhort, to teach God's word? Then you need to be doing that. It is possible that you are the one to influence someone else so that they can learn, that they can grow up to live and to love for Jesus in such a way that we learn from the testimony that in the church in Antioch, this was happening so much, they actually labeled these people. What did they label? It says what? It says this is the first place. And in Antioch, the disciples were the first ones that were called Christians. What does that mean? Christ-like ones. They're, they're learning together. They're growing together. They begin to behave in such a way that when they see them, they listen to them. They say, they remind us of someone. Remind us of the Christ. And they're called that. They're labeled that. I think it's, I think it's tragic today that the term Christian has become so watered down. It's, it's, it's virtually pathetic. Someone puts a cross on their neck and automatically they call themselves a Christian. Somebody hits a home run and points to the sky. Well, you must be a Christian. It has nothing to do with being one like 
Christ. Unlike Christ, what? Lives differently than the world lives. We exist for a different purpose. We're heading a different direction that the world is heading. We need to understand the responsibility that we call ourselves ones like Christ. We behave and live and talk and walk and love like Christ did. It happened. Why? Because these people were influenced by good and godly men. Thirdly and finally, the church needs people who are givers. Look at verses 27 through 30. They get word, some who have the gift that was given not only of foretelling, but of foretelling, a gift of prophecy that says that there is a famine coming, there's going to be great needs. And they're actually distinguished, they're characterized by what? Inability to give to others. It marks them. Verses 29 and the first part of 30, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so. They get word of other people who are in need, and they gather together the resources. I read this week that they gave unanimously as one, with unity, they gave spontaneously and they gave proportionately. Some people are gifted to give more than others. That's fine. Whatever you have, you are to give. This is not a giving of your talents necessarily. This is a giving of your, your, your monetary means, that which is a sacrifice to you, that which is your tithe, that which is above your tithe. This is a responsibility that we have as a church to give to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that they didn't just kind of like tip God. They don't don't throw something into a a jar so that it clinks and somebody is impressed by that. No. These are early believers who saw a need and what? They learned the importance of sacrifice. I would go so far as to say that one of the indicators of authentic faith, of ones who are called to be like Christ and live like Christ, one of the indicators of a regenerated life is the fact that true Christians love to give. Here, take it, take it. Because we're just tenters, we're pilgrims moving through this land. And our home is waiting for us. And we would rather store up for, for our home in heaven as opposed to live with comforts here. It's an indicator of what the church needs today. And so quickly in closing, where, where, where are you when it comes to these three areas? Who are you when it comes to these three areas? Will you be a, a trailblazer? God, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll cut the tethers and I will go wherever you want me to go. If it's to my neighbor next door, then I'll do that. If it goes to another continent, then I will do that. Are you an influencer using your gifts that God has given to faithfully exhort and teach the truth of God's word and impact others? Or are you a giver? One who's been called to remain here and sacrifice for others. I tell you what, a church of Jesus Christ filled with people that are like Christ are going to fall in one of these three areas. And so it's a good reminder for you this morning to search your own heart, to say, Lord, what is it? Reveal to me what it is you want me to do and who you want me to be for your glory. The church at Antioch, great reminder, great example for you and I. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, for these believers 
that we get a little bit of a glimpse into. We, we view them through the lens of Scripture. God, I thank you for each person that is here and how you have called them and how you have equipped them. God, I would ask that we would examine our hearts and listen to your spirit leading us, speaking to us to see which one, at least one of these areas that we have got to be. God, I would ask, Lord, that we would offer everything that we have to you with joy, that we would desire to be faithful, and that through your spirit working in us with your message, you, Lord, transform the community and the world that you've called us to live in. Help us to learn from these brothers and sisters of old and to apply that truth to our lives today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you.